0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Business Model Disruption, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help you shake up the status quo in your company's business capabilities and move your organization in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. We found a quote from a gentleman named Ryan Cavanaugh, very interesting young man born in 1974, American businessman, film producer, and financier, the founder and CEO of Relativity Media. He has financed more than 200 films, and he's known as the billion-dollar producer. What in the world does he have to say about business model product disruption? Let me tell you. Here's the quote. The key is to embrace disruption and change early. Don't react to it decades later. You can't fight innovation. Well, those are some fighting words, and let's see what we're talking about today. Welcome, everyone, to the platform era newsflash, your same old status quo business model will not sustain you, especially if your market is being looked at, eyed, or ready to be encroached upon by, let's say, the next Uber, the next Airbnb, the next Amazon. You know what they did to their industries and a lot of others. So what's happening in business? The largest businesses today by market capitalization are now platform-based business models. What have they done? They have disrupted and they have grown at phenomenal rates. You want to be like them. How can your business survive? Well, number one, embrace new agile technologies and a couple of keywords and they're agile. You've heard that before in technologies. Number two, unleash the power of your ecosystem. That's right. There's power in them, our ecosystem. And number three, adapt your business culturally. Seriously? Yes, we said culturally. I have three very smart panelists with me today who are going to help to explain this all, simplify it and help energize you so you can join the power businesses today. Let me tell you who they are briefly and then, and we will start with their opening quotes. First up, it is my delight and privilege to welcome Bjorn Gukka. He is the chief technology. Technology Officer at SAP. Joining him on the panel is Alan W. Brown, Professor of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Business School at the University of Surrey in the UK. And rounding out the panel is Mark Gial, SVP, Senior Vice President and Global Head of SAP Cloud Platform Ecosystem. Welcome all. And let's see what Bjorn has sent us for the opening quote. Here's a quote from Norman Vincent Peale, if you're too young to remember him, 1898 to 1993, an American minister and author. He was known for popularizing the idea of positive thinking, and he had a best-selling book called, What Else? The Power of Positive Thinking. Here's the quote, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. What a beautiful quote. Bjorn, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today?
2: Hi there, Bonnie. Great being here. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Bjorn. We'd love to know what in the world does this quote have to do with being a
2: platform-based business with business model disruption? Talk to me, Bjorn. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's one of my favorite quotes and it, it's clearly about positive thinking and kind of the, the way how you think about things and how the, the attitude you bring to the table will in the end decide whether you will be successful with what you're doing or not. And uh, this is definitely one that, that tells you to think big, to kind of reach out to a, a big and ambitious goal um, and give it all you can and try to be successful with it. And even if you, if you don't directly get there, there's enough good things happening left and right that will get you uh, forward. And, and I think that's, that's important. And, and in my role as a chief technology officer, frankly, there's uh, so much that IT has done uh, in the past which didn't go exactly where it was supposed to go. And there's so much hype and uh, expectation towards new technologies that are coming up that will impact what we're doing in the future that you have to be a notorious uh, optimist. And uh, I think that's the right quote for that.
1: Thank you very much. And, Bjorn, I have a question for you. When you talk about give it your all, I love the way you said that. But when I mentioned just a minute ago how companies can survive, I mentioned agile technologies, and we'll talk about those. I mentioned the power in the ecosystem, but I also said learning how to adapt your business culturally. Is give it your all applied mostly to adapting your business culture, or would we say it applies to everything I mentioned
2: I, I think it applies to to everything you you mentioned, and um, especially if we talk digital transformation, it's really something that I strongly believe goes uh, across everything you do within the company. And, and changing your business model is really something which is uh, very intrusive to every aspect, from uh, uh, go-to-market and sales to your commercial models, uh, to how you engage your R&D folks, um, how you support your customers. Uh, how you move maybe from a B2B, a kind of a business to business business, into a business to consumer business. So it's it's really kind of putting upside down of what you've been thinking your company would be doing, and uh, uh, and I, and that really requires everybody uh, from the top of the company to to every individual employee in the end uh, to start moving with you. So it's really everybody um, showing an all-in attitude to to what needs to happen.
1: Thank you, Bjorn. Very interesting. And, and how appropriate to have a quote from Norman Vincent Peale, and who is the author of The Power of Positive Thinking. And I think that's what you're saying here. So thank you. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Mark Gial, Senior VP and Global Head of SAP Cloud Platform Ecosystem. And Mark has sent us a quote from Rupert Murdoch. He's still with us. Born in 1931, Australian-born American media mogul. Come on. You all know who he is. He started News limited he is has full control as chairman and ceo of the global media holding company news corporation the world's second largest media conglomerate look him up if you don't know who he is and here is the quote this is a familiar quote and i think it's very appropriate today that mark has picked the world is changing fast big will not beat small anymore it will be the fast beating the snow the slow mark y'all welcome to game changers how are you
3: I'm very good today, Bonnie. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining me. Tell me about this quote, Rupert Murdoch. How did we get him on the show? What would he have to say about this topic?
3: Well, it's not often I look to an Australian media mogul for inspiration, but uh, I think in this case, it's pretty relevant. I mean, we're seeing a lot of change today. This this whole show is about business disruption and how the fact that the companies need to, to act very quickly. They need to to accept failure, and they need to, to try things and iterate and, and try again, right? And I think that, to your point before, there's a lot of cultural change that needs to happen within organizations. Um, it's, a, it's a mindset shift in many ways, and I think, you know, Rupert got it spot on, right? That uh, it's not about the size of the business anymore. It's about how, how you can be agile and how you can move quicker than the competition uh, to beat them. So um, it's all about how you how you manage risk how you manage change and do that in an effective way
1: Thank you, Mark. Very interesting. Does this go back to culture? I was asking Bjorn that question a few minutes ago. Does it go back to the culture of the company leading from the top, energizing the workforce, energizing management, saying, yes, we may be big, we may be known for being established and an incumbent in our field, and maybe a little clunky and set in our ways, but now is the time to mobilize and be fast. Is this something that can happen with uh, language from the top? What do you think, Mark?
3: I think it's a really it's a good question and it's a it's a, a very significant challenge for many organizations I think you know digitization and digital disruption is about how do you leverage data and how do you leverage information more effectively. Many organizations that that we see and and we speak to have set up or set themselves up almost as as information hierarchies right your classical business mm-hmm. Um, all the information sits with the CEO. Some of it filters down to the board a little bit more into the, the next line of management. And I think, you know, what we need to do is, is flip the business on its head, right? You, you need to make information almost a commodity, right? Make it accessible to everyone. And that requires mm-hmm. a very different mindset. It requires a very different way of of managing the business, even of setting up the business, right? Your organizational hierarchies and silos don't work um, in this type of in this type of paradigm you need to bring different skill sets together as small agile teams and, and have them go out and, and and drive this change so big challenge for, for many organizations and, and many are trying to wrestle with that change
1: Thank you very much. I'm, I'm so intrigued that we're talking about the people side of the equation. You know, we talk about business models and everybody thinks, yeah, put down a process and train everybody and get your mission statement lined up and decide where your investments are going to be. And it really all boils down to people. So thank you very much. And now I would like to introduce our third panelist, Alan W. Brown, Professor of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Business School at the University of Surrey. And Alan has sent a very interesting quote to us. We heard it many times attributed to Einstein and Yogi Berra, but I think I found the real source. His name is Johannes Lambertus Adriana van der Snepshoot, who was a computer scientist and educator. He was the executive officer of the computer science department at the California Institute of, Institute of Technology at the time of his death in 1994. And here's the quote, in theory, theory and practice are the same But in practice, they are not. Professor Brown, welcome to Game Changers. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining me. Talk to me about this quote. How does this apply to our topic? We're turning traditional business models inside out, upside down, and talking about platform-based businesses. So relate the quote for me, please.
4: Well, in my position, I'm I'm working in a university now, having spent more than 25 years in industry. And I'm very interested in this relationship between what we learn when we're trying things out for real in a practical world with all of the constraints and challenges that we face and what we can extract from that so that we can begin to take concepts and new ideas and build on those and how we can build new theories from what we see in the field and then reapply them back into practical situations we find around us. And that, to me, is two sides of the same coin. And we find ourselves in a very interesting situation in the digital transformations that are going on in business right now. This digital world sort of upended everything we know. So I'm asking myself some very fundamental questions. For example, if I went to a really good business school 10 years ago, and mm-hmm. i had been practicing what I've been told in the business school, and I'm now a mid-level manager, doing well in my organization... What do I think about those theories that I was taught 10 years ago? How do they apply to me today? Can I keep using them? Are they reinterpreted in the world I'm in? Or, in fact, are a completely new set of ideas evolving that I must begin to learn and apply? So we're in really interesting times where we're not sure what's real anymore, how to apply what we do, what kinds of theories are useful to us in which circumstances, and how practice is reevaluating what we learn in places like universities. We're in really interesting times.
1: We certainly are. Very interesting. And Alan, you brought up an interesting point. I want to just go around the panel and ask a question here. I don't usually do that, but I think it's appropriate when we contrast what I call the incumbent, the established, I sometimes call them the big behemoth companies that are set in their ways, and we contrast that with startups, talk about agile, talk about new, talk about developing an exciting ecosystem, talk about starting culturally in today's mindset. At, Alan, going back to your idea of what did you learn 10 years ago? Well, if you're a startup, you may be looking at today's business philosophy, today's business mantras. So h- how does this go on the landscape of business? Do you think startups are going to be the winners who are able to shift because they're already there? Alan, let me start with you and then I'll go around the panel. Thoughts about startups versus established businesses. What do you think? Well, I
4: think you, you picked on a, a really interesting theme that we need to address, which is if you have somebody coming into an existing domain, an existing industry, and they've ripped up the rule book, they've started from scratch, maybe they never even knew there was a rule book, and they're trying things out that you've never seen before. They're coming at you in a way that you are completely surprised by. You you have to work and, and operate in a different way. So new organizations are feeling themselves completely unencumbered in the new digital era from the things that happened in the past. And those that are in the world today, in the existing organizations, the incumbents in those organizations, the larger, the EMFs, as you mentioned, they're feeling very constrained. So, mm-hmm. for example, this idea that I'm a leader in the field often is now not an advantage to you but a disadvantage. It means you have legacy thinking. It means you have existing assets that you have to be able to understand and, and use in new ways. It means that you have an existing workforce that maybe was trained in an era that may not be relevant. So we've got some really interesting challenges both to address the growth that small companies need to to have to be successful and for larger organizations to be able to move in a, in a more nimble way.
1: Thank you, Alan, for addressing that. Bjorn, I'm circling around the virtual table to you. Thoughts, please? What do you think?
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah, building on what what Ellen has said as well, um, I, I think uh, any any startup that enters into a market is really going in there with an attitude to whatever disrupt kind of existing players who lead in the market, who lead in the in the in that specific industry or country, and so they uh, they they actually kind of try to reinvent what kind of business in that particular domain means. And if any established company kind of that that uh, acts out of a position of strength in that market, wants to compete with those kind of companies that really kind of reinvent how how certain things are done, how certain products or services are delivered, Um, you have to be willing to reinvent yourself. And especially large organizations with existing huge markets and customer base and also expectations towards how they've done things in the past and with an attitude of we're the leader, and we're not going to be challenged and we're, we, we are not required to change, we'll have a hard time to compete in, in that environment. And and it will basically require within the company an attitude where you are willing to chop off your own leg on which you're standing, right? And uh, and yeah. reinvent how, how the company works. And I think that's the, the big challenge um, that those companies are facing. Uh, it's, it, you can't, it's not that you can't overcome it, um, but it really requires commitment from the top of the company to also make um, tough decisions, uh, to cut back on your own business uh, for the sake of building a new one. Um, and uh, if you don't do that within your company, somebody will come from the outside and challenge you um, by exactly doing what you were hesitant to do. And I think that's the, the choice those companies have. At the same time, I believe... Um, uh, there's always hope. Um, I, I'm a positive thinker. Uh, we see companies that do change. Uh, we, we see a lot of startups that don't make it in the long run. Mm-hmm. And so there's also a position of strength for established businesses. Uh, they do have good customer base. They uh, know how to do certain products and services. Um, but they need to change. And I think that that is something everybody needs to realize.
1: Bjorn, as you're speaking, I'm looking at the quote you sent me from Norman Vincent Peale, and I'm reading it slowly and thinking, shoot for the moon. What if a big company says, but we are the moon, we are the sun, we are the stars. What do you want me to shoot for? We're already there. I think that's what you're talking about. Is they get entrenched, they get, they get stuck in where they are. Am I right on that one, Bjorn? If we just take that quote apart?
2: I think that's exactly. You need to. I think remaining humble. I mean, I, I think as you as you said, the problem is if you believe you are the sun and every, everything else is just rotating around you, you may be wrong, right? And and that's what startups uh, like uh, Uber or or uh, Airbnb and and Facebook have basically shown the world that uh, they can disrupt businesses. And and uh, these things have happened pretty quickly. And and if you look at Amazon and how quickly bookstores were kind of disappearing. Uh, 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 in the US for example or around the world and, and how these things have happened in an extremely short time period um, I think the, any company sitting out there saying we are the sun they're already dead <laughs>
1: Well, that certainly sums it all up nicely. I'm remembering a quote a panelist on a show a couple of days ago brought us. I think it might have been from the uh, the missing aviator, aviatrix, if you will, Amelia Earhart. And I, I could be wrong, but I'm trying to remember. I think it was something about uh, doing something different. is not about tenacity. It's about having the nerve, having the nerve to start. And that brings me to Mark Gial. And Mark, uh, what's your thought on this? Do startups have the, the home? crowd advantage, if you will, because they're new and they built a new stadium? Or where do you see this juxtaposition of existing incumbent behemoth entrenched versus, hey, we're new, we're agile by definition? What do you think?
3: It's, uh, it's, it's a tough one to answer. A lot of people like to, to focus on the innovators' dilemma and the fact that large organizations find it very difficult to change because they're so de- dependent on their legacy Revenue streams, mm-hmm. and it's very difficult to to switch from one revenue stream to another when you're a when you're a you know a, a public listed company, and you have to hit every single quarter. Otherwise, Wall Street will will bash you over the head and and knock your share price by twenty five percent, and you get a new CEO in. Right. So, the innovators dilemma, I think, is often seen as a as a reason why the large corporations can't change. Um, mm-hmm. However, you do see examples of. Businesses starting to understand how they can adapt and how to change that. So you look at somebody like, you know, EMC, where they basically spun out VMware and ring fenced innovation and allowed that innovation to be successful, allowed it to grow, allowed it to to basically disrupt, and, and did that in a way where it was protected, where you gave management the ability to make those changes, you you gave management the ability to disrupt the business model. Um, and do that in a, in a, in a sort of a quasi sort of structured way to enable them to be successful. So, you know, I think there are, there are some reasons why the larger organizations are challenged. Um, Mm -hmm. but there are ways around that saying that the whole value of a platform type of business model is that yes, you can start to change your business model. Um, you look at the smaller businesses, the startups, they're not encumbered by a legacy IT system that is difficult to change. They're not encumbered by organizational hierarchies and structure that is very difficult to, to readapt and to change. And, and also they don't have that challenge of shareholders breathing down their necks, right? They're given that ability to grow, to change, um, and to disrupt. So I think what we need to look for is how do you bring the best of both worlds, right? How do you bring um, scale and advantage of scale and enable... Um, you know, existing customer relationships to, to, to deliver new growth opportunities, um, but also provide that dynamicism and that flexibility in organizational setup in terms of IT capabilities to, to drive that change and, and try and bring those together. And in many ways, you know, that that's that's what we're also starting to see, right? I mean, yes, we need to rethink, as, as Alan said, um, but, you know, you, you, you need to um, give the tools to the business um, so they can, they can make those changes, right? Whether you're a large organization or small and at least have a, that chance of being successful.
1: Thank you, Mark. And, you know, you mentioned platform-based business, which I mentioned in my introduction. We're going a little bit out of order in the usual format of the show, but I think we have such a good conversation going. Before I ask you all where you are and what you're drinking today, I want to keep this part going. Let's just go around the table and define platform-based business in case somebody in our listening audience around the world is saying, what exactly are they talking about? Bjorn, you want to give us your version of platform-based business model, please?
2: Yeah, I think the the the, the whole idea um, behind going digital and kind of moving from from product into services will, in the end, kind of change how you do business with your customers, and and that's what is at the core of of the whole topic that we call digital transformation. Right. So, what you need in the end is a uh, a platform in the sense of. Um, an ecosystem of partners you work with. Um, In the end, you will not be the only one who delivers a capability. And by creating a network of of partners and ecosystem and providing them a platform to become part of your business model and working with you, that will actually drive uh, the change and will will uh, be um, determining whether um, the reach you can create is uh, very limited or whether you have a chance to really reach out broadly and and Good examples are companies as I said, like Airbnb, which have really created a platform for uh, individuals and and uh, corporations to provide. Um, uh, space and, and rent out uh, rooms and apartments and houses uh, globally. And, and that has been driving the, the digital model um, against uh, kind of hotel chains. And, uh, and that that's what makes the difference. Or Uber is a very similar thing. Or take, uh, think Facebook, uh, which doesn't own a single piece of content, uh, while it's one of the biggest kind of news channels uh, in the meantime and the biggest marketing platform. So the content is provided by others from the outside into Um, kind of a business model which provides an appropriate platform for
1: that. Thank you, Bjorn. Very interesting. I want to get Alan Brown's thoughts on platform-based business model. How do you see it, Alan?
4: Well, I think we've seen for many people quite a shift between product-based businesses, uh, service businesses, and platform businesses. So let me give you a simple example. Mm -hmm. Um, if, If I sell hammers, then I'm looking for people who want to buy a hammer and I sell a hammer for a particular price. What most people want is not a hammer. They want a picture hung on their wall. So Mm -hmm. I can sell the service of putting pictures on walls and people would come and and put the picture on a wall and part of that would be, of course, they needed a hammer in order to knock in the nail. But what's more interesting is I'm quite interested in creating a platform where people with hammers can serve people with needs and people who support that industry who want to understand people who've just moved house so are likely to want to put pictures on their wall, or people who are interested in all the hammers that are being used in a particular region at this point in time, or when they're used, or for what use they're needed, because they're not just used for knocking in nails. Then that becomes interesting in itself. The actual value is understanding the context within which these activities are happening, Mm -hmm. when and how and who's doing it now they're connected. And that's a completely different set of information. Set of opportunities, set of business opportunities, environment, in which you're building uh, an environment, an ecosystem, a collection of opportunities for people to be able to serve each other and be part of a community. Now I'm in a completely different world. I'm not in the hammer world, I'm not in the hanging pictures world, I'm in the platform world.
1: Thank you. You know, as you were speaking out, I'm thinking I, I relocated from New York uh, at the last week of August of 2017 to Durham, North Carolina. Never thought in my lifetime as a New York girl I would end up in the South, but here I am. And I hired a painter, but I realized I didn't hire a painter. I hired somebody to bring my dream of red walls in my living room, in my dining room, and a green teal bedroom, and a beautiful lavender guest bathroom. I didn't hire him to paint, I hired him to bring color into my home and that kind of visual joy. Am I on the right track here, Alan Brown?
4: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that, that's the way I think things are moving. And, and in, in fact, the value is, no, is not in which particular paint they used or whether this was the best painter, but who realizes your dream and how that dream um, is valuable to you in what you want to achieve in your life.
1: Thank you. It's this is getting very human and very beautiful right now. You should see the house, Mark Giall. I'd love to get your thoughts. What's your interpretation of a platform-based business model, please?
4: I'd, I'd
3: like to try and build on, on what Joanna said and what Alan has said. Right, I think mm-hmm. you know, in its in its simplest form, you know, business is about bringing buyers and sellers together, and you know, there are many marketplaces, many sort of networks that do that. Right, I mean, Amazon is a is a good digital. Um, representation of that but ultimately what do you have you you have you know products that, that people are looking to sell um, what alan sort of articulated is the fact there's a huge amount of value in that information right you know how do i how do i map um this product or or to these different types of buyers how do i use that to, to try and maximize price or use that to clear inventory that i may have within my business so what what we're seeing is is that there are these four types of, of, of platform business models that are, are starting to emerge from this. And, you know, one is around how do I collaborate more effectively, right? So how do I, how do I get access, um, not only to that painter, but maybe to, um, to, to the provider of paints that, that helps you get that service at a, at a much lower cost. So there's this collaboration element that is coming up and that's about understanding, you know, your supply chain, um, your customers' and your partners' requirements, the ecosystem that, that Bjorn sort of alluded to. You, you also have this sort of innovation type of business model that is starting to evolve, which is, um, you know, maybe there isn't the paint that I require, Right, who can make the right paint for me? Right, maybe the, the red that you want isn't isn't available. Is that is there somebody that is willing to make that investment to innovate to come up with that product or service that, that you require? So how do I how do I bring innovation to bear um, through through a to a type of platform-based marketplace? Um, the next one is just that very simple matching, right? How do I bring buyers and sellers together and do that in as effective a way as possible? Right? It's easier for me to get on Amazon. And check out a product, the price of the product, maybe even reviews of that product, than so it is to, to go down to my local store now, um, where I'm spending a lot more time, um, a lot more energy to, to to go and do that. So that just simple matching is the simplest one, and then the final one is a, is around orchestration. Right, how do I how do I really make best use of those assets? Um, that I have, right? I mean, Uber in many ways has, has transformed an industry because it's putting mm-hmm. those those cars, those drivers to 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 work in a in a much more effective way. So, you know, at its core, it's about you know bringing buyers and sellers together, understanding the information that is out there on these marketplaces, on these platforms, and now either delivering new services um, or new value to to, to those customers. So um you know they, the the platform is is what you need to support those different types of capabilities um, and doing that is in now enabling you know companies to, to to rethink and and to disrupt right because it's getting that flexibility and that insight from the information and and the networks that are being built.
1: Thank you very much. Very very intrigued with all of us. You know, the flip side that we we won't really have time to talk about on today's show is what happens in the aftermath or in the wake, if you will, of these disruptions, because I know from people in New York who've been holding taxi medallions for years and years as part of their family inheritance, their legacy, their passive income when they retire, and along came Uber, Uber, and I don't have to tell you what happened to the value of medallions tumbled from a couple of million down into the mid-hundreds thousands, and even lower and lower. So there's a flip side of how do industries reinvent themselves and become agile, but maybe they don't know how. That's a whole other topic, another conversation, but you know what? It's time for me to get a little bit up close and personal with my panelists as we always do here on Game Changers. So Mr. Bjorn Gukka, I'd love to know where are you today speaking with us and aren't either what's in your cup today while you're speaking to me or what do you really love to drink that makes you happy, happy, happy and feel agile and on top of the world?
2: Okay, I am in my ivory tower, uh, fifth floor in uh, the middle of nowhere, Waldorf, where uh, SAP happens to have its headquarters. Uh, so that's where I'm currently am. I have uh, next to me a uh, glass of profane tap water. I wish it were... <laughs> I wish it were water from Mars, actually, because I think even though Frank Sinatra might have disagreed with me, but I think that's actually the beverage, the only beverage, the only drink, actually, that would kind of move mankind significantly ahead and solve a real problem.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) Professor Alan Brown, where art thou and what drink is thou? What power is the professor? (laughs)
4: <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm just south of London uh, in a, a city called Guildford, and the sun's just going down. And um, I'd like to say that I'm taking advantage of the sun going down to have a nice beverage. But really, uh, what I would like to do is, is uh, say, well, my beverage is actually in a digital cup. Let me think about this for a second. So I've got this um, paper cup in front of me, but there's electronics in the cup. So really? in the digital world, I can put a digital wrapper around any device, including a cup, and it would tell me where the cup is. It would tell me what's in the cup because it can weigh the cup. Maybe it has a temperature sensor. that tells me if the drink is hot or cold. Maybe it can tell me what's in the cup, what drink is in there, the quality of that drink, if it's, um, if it's been exposed to certain things in the light or dust or other things. Maybe it can tell me a lot of things about um, which other cups Are on the campus that I'm in, or in the city I'm in, Uh, which ones have been used when, Uh, whether they're in the best quality that they could be in. So now I've got digital information, a digital footprint from my cup. So, in fact, it's not even a cup anymore. It's a device that helps me to understand when I need to be maybe rehydrated. It's something that tells me, because maybe I've got a a Fitbit band that tells me my blood sugar Mm. level's low, and I need to take on some more fluid. Maybe it's a learning device that helps me to improve my ability to absorb information because I'll be rehydrated at the time I need it. So it's not a beverage, and it's not a cup anymore. It's a device that I use in my life to help me to achieve the goals that I have because this is now digital. We're in a new world.
1: Alan, that's probably one of the most original answers, and so we get some really crazy drinks on the show, so when you said the sun going down and you're in UK, I was expecting some amazing bottle of wine you were going to mention, but I like what you brought us. Thank you, and now Mark Gehl. Mark, where are you and what's in your cup today, or what are you dreaming
3: about? I'm at home I'm in my study, looking out in central London. Um, the sun's probably uh, not quite as far down as it is in Guildford, which is uh, about 30 miles south of here. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing everything a little bit before Alan um, on that basis. Uh, what's in my cup? Uh, I'm going to be a bit boring. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a, a gin and tonic, which is my, my favourite drink, but I'm not going to go for any gin and tonic. I'm going to go for a, a Tarquin's, uh Navy Strength Gin, the Sea Dog as it's known, with a fever tree tonic. And, and what's interesting about that, and it's maybe a slightly different spin on, on disruption, so Tarquins is, a, is a, a small business. It's a startup that was founded by a 27-year-old um, gin enthusiast in Cornwall in southwest of England. Um, he is now starting to disrupt the gin industry with his artisan gins. Um, this particular gin, the Navy Strength Sea Dog, won the, the best gin in at the uh, the San Francisco Wine and Spirits Awards. I think in two thousand and seventeen and two thousand and eighteen. That's correct. From a twenty seven year old who, who thought, okay, I'm just going to do things a little bit differently, um, and go after the global market, even from my from my sort of uh, small distillery in in the southwest of England. And the reason I've, I've matched it with a Fevertree, Fevertree is my favorite tonic. Um, Fevertree was a, a, an IPO back in 2012 now, I think, in the UK. A, a good friend of mine was one of the first investors in Fevertree. Fevertree basically said, you know, the whole, the whole tonic industry is wrong. You know, people like Schweppes basically put this horrible stuff into the market that, that kills your drink. If three quarters of your gin and tonic is tonic, why skimp on the tonic? And Fever Tree ha- has a business model of bringing one new mixer to market every year. They started with Fever Tree tonic. They then brought Sicilian lemonade. They have brought special varieties of of um, of um, um, cola even to the marketplace where they go back to um, original product products. So they put real quinine in the tonic. Um, and really put the, put the value back in the taste of the mixer and the quality of the mixer. And, you know, small business, again, went from nowhere to disrupting an industry in two or three years uh, because they just thought differently and thought about the consumer first
1: totally and I looked it up while you were talking about it and I was going to tell you I was on the southwesterndistillery.com website and Tarkin Ledbetter a 29 year old self taught distiller started making craft gin six years ago on his cooker at home he started using rustic equipment and selling it to local pubs from the back of his car and a little bit of note here uh, Tarkin's gin was the first new gin to be distilled in southwest England for over 100 years we're going to leave it at that yes they did win the best gin at San Francisco World Spirits competition in 2017. Got to go get me some of that. But I have to tell you, gentlemen, that they don't allow me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and today is no exception. So all SAP allows me to drink, Bjorn, you might be interested in this, is water. And it's not boring. It refreshes me and wets my whistle. So I'm drinking a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water. And I have a pink straw because it's not very sunny here in Durham, North Carolina today. But I will tell our listeners that we are certainly lighting up the Guys, with some very brilliant commentary here from my three panelists talking about a very serious topic. If I didn't tell you the title of this episode, it's Digital Disruption, Threat, Opportunity, or Both. And I think we've covered all three angles, but we have a lot more coming up. So I'll simply say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with Bjorn, Alan, Mark, and me. I'm Bonnie, and I will be after the break. So let me simply say to my engineer, Aaron, out. Out.
0: The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future success of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerating ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business disruption catalysts, new platform business models, agile innovation, a thriving ecosystem, and an API economy are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of business. Game Changing business model disruption is presented by SAP. Visit sap.com. you're listening to game-changing business model disruption presented by sap email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at twitter hashtag sap now let's get back to game-changing business model disruption
1: Welcome back. You're listening to game changing business model disruption radio here episode two. And we are bringing you a very interesting topic, digital disruption. Oh, come on. You've heard that phrase so many times, digital transformation, but we're talking about it from a very pragmatic point of view. Is it a threat? Is it an opportunity or both? How are the big companies doing that are entrenched in the processes in their business models? How are the little agile startups doing? Are they going to knock everybody off their socks? Or if they're perched, that's what we're finding out with my three esteemed guests. We have Bjorn Goeke from SAP, Professor Alan Brown, University of Surrey, and Mark Gial, also at SAP. We're technically in the roundtable phase of the show right now, but we've really been having one heck of a roundtable. But I'm looking at some notes here from Bjorn. Let's tackle something we haven't covered yet, Bjorn. You say in your notes, although every company has a different opinion of what digital transformation is, it usually boils down to two core components. One, customer experience, and two, innovation culture. Bjorn, can you tell us more, please?
2: Yeah, happy happy to share more about that thought. I mean, if you if you look at digital disruptors, and, and you mentioned the startups, uh, look at what Airbnb uh, or what Facebook or. Uh, Amazon, as a marketplace and and retail site have actually done is, of course, there's a lot of technology behind the scenes and uh, startups are probably a little bit faster in in applying uh, whatever new technologies in an experimental fashion uh, to a a problem they want to solve or they have a better way how to, whatever, commercialize and and there's new ideas coming in. Um, But in the end, it's not technology. It's not whether you're a startup or not. But what they've all done extremely well is Um, they've changed the customer experience. Like how I get a car in the evening to get from a restaurant back to the hotel when I'm in a a city uh, visiting is very different these days than it was 10 Mm -hmm. years ago where you had to try to catch a a taxi, right? Um, If you wanted to book a hotel room, what you can do now with Airbnb, it's a very different customer experience that you get. Um, So in the end, it's something that, of course, also applies to existing companies and existing businesses. It's really about thinking about what is the ideal, the perfect, the up-to-date customer experience that people simply expect um, for your service or your product. And, And I think that's what digital transformation is about. And the second important aspect, of course, is that you can't be lazy. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a a one-off activity, and then you're kind of digital and and kind of you can lean back. It's definitely, whether for startups or for established companies, it's about kind of an innovation culture. You need to keep thinking about what's next. How can I further improve? Like uh, take uh, uh, Uber. I mean, just sitting there now with an established business model will not suffice. Uh, The autonomous car will come around the corner. And that will have massive impact on the way how Uber actually does business and does transportation, right? So I think it's, it's, it's in the end, this digital transformation is a, it's a journey. Uh, it's, a, it's not a one-off thing. And it definitely is about focusing on the customer experience, uh, narrow down on that one, and then kind of maintain or establish or keep an innovation culture within your company. That's what it is in the,
4: all about in the end.
1: Thank you very much, Bjorn. I'd love to get Professor Alan Brown's thoughts on this. Agree or disagree, Alan?
4: Well, it, it, I very much agree with what was said by Bjorn, but maybe I can just come to the same um, idea from a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. If we go back a little bit and think about the innovation theories that have been proposed, there are many around. And the, the, the simplest way to define innovation is about the relationship between three things, desirability how people want to consume something, uh, what their needs are, how those needs get fulfilled. Feasibility, what can we do with the technologies that we have available to us? What's feasible for us to actually deliver? And viability, is there a business model behind it? Is there money behind it? Is there a sustainable um, supply chain, value chain that will allow it to be successful? And in fact, as strategists and as leaders, we're doing the dance between those three things all the time. And in a digital world, all three of those are, in, are are affected. There is a digital view of desirability, consumability, customer experience, user experience. In fact, the expectations of consumers in a digital world are completely different about what they receive, when they receive it, how they receive it, how they interact with you when they receive it. When the feasibility is now very different. The technology changes that are taking place means that things that we only dreamed of a few years ago are now feasible and, and beyond feasible. And then The big one for us, of course, is viability. Can we understand how the money flows? Where's the value? How's the value captured? How's it shared? How's it maintained? And in fact, those three things fitting together give us the idea of the blueprint, if you like, of what's a successful idea and a successful company.
1: Thank you very much. That was very interesting. Didn't have that in my notes. Glad to glad to expand those thoughts. Let's get Mark all in on this. Mark, we've got a couple of things on the table here. We've got the two values from Bjorn. We've got the three things of this
3: blueprint from Alan Brown.
1: What's your thought on all of this, Mark?
3: Please. Maybe uh, maybe I try and take a, a slightly different spin or take on this. Sure. Um, you know the the question already came back to you know making existing business processes ready for that transformation and and what i like to think about is 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 how those business processes are maybe changing right so traditionally we've had relatively static business proceeds um you know business re-engineering the big phase in the in the 90s was about sort of taking business proceeds and, and optimizing them to the nth degree The challenge today, because every customer has a different expectation, that customer experience is different for me than it is for Bjorn, as it is for Alan, Um, business proceeds are now becoming dynamic, right? And and what I mean by that is, is let's say myself and Alan go to a website and we want Mm -hmm. to buy a product. Um, Our interests, our motivation may be very different, right? So I may be more price sensitive than Alan, who is more time sensitive. Um, so, you know, if I'm price sensitive, then I want to get the product at the lowest cost, which maybe from a business perspective means you now want to clear excess inventory you have, right? So you give that person the product at the best price um, by clearing your own inventory. Whereas the more time sensitive individual, um, you want to give them, they're happy to pay more. Um, but they want it now. They don't want to wait six weeks. So then you need to reschedule your manufacturing processes or interact with different elements of your supply chain, right? So what seems to be or historically was a very static process that we could optimize has now become dynamic because of the different customer experience that we have. And this is the challenge businesses are facing. Every customer has a different requirement. And how yes. how much change, how much dynamicism, can't speak at this time of the day, how much dynamicism can you actually capture within that. And I think that, that's also the challenge. Yes, the customer experience um, is, 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 is hugely important. Yes, you need to deliver that innovation culture so that you can, you, can, you can make those changes, you can come up with those new ideas, but you're actually dealing now with maybe a far more complex set of scenarios that you had to deal with in the past. And, and that's maybe what scares many companies um, in addressing some of the changes that they need to make.
1: Thank you, Mark. Very interesting. You gave me the perfect segue now into a note from Professor Alan Brown. Alan, you know, you sent me something about a tailspin, and I asked you what it meant. I think this is a perfect time to talk about this. Alan told me in his notes, he says, these are deep issues that impact the very core of who your company is, what you stand for, how you serve your clients. And here's the kicker. He says, no wonder Digital disruption has many organizations in a tailspin. I think Mark just mentioned that or alluded to it. Alan, can you tell me what tailspin means in this context, please?
4: Yes, I think I think Mark did pick this up quite well as he started mm-hmm. to talk through this idea of what an organization is trying to achieve and why. And for, for me, if you like, a, a lot of what's happening with digital disruption that organizations are struggling with is we've moved from organizations that are interested in producing something, the sort of what do you want, and they've moved away from the how do you want it to the why do you want it. Mm -hmm. We're trying to learn about context. When you are looking to buy something, the, the question is why, what are you going to use it for, what's your circumstance now, what's happening around you, what did you do just before this, and what will you do afterwards? And once we know that, then we can start to do very different things Serve your need differently, price differently, um, maybe co- cooperate with you, interact with you, have a conversation with you about where that fits in what you're trying to achieve and therefore the kinds of values that we can deliver. And that context from a digital world, it becomes much more easy to understand because I'm in your home with IoT devices. I may even be in your body with some embedded devices or wearable devices. I'm certainly seeing you on campus, I'm seeing you walk around the city, I'm seeing you in a factory and what's being produced. So now I've got this information and I can understand more about what's going on. I'm going to be able to do new things. The problem is, for most organizations, first of all, they don't have the data. If they do have the data, it's not very high quality. It's certainly not connected with each other in any sort of reasonable way. And then finally, they don't know what to do with it when they've got it. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know how to interpret the answers. They don't know what to do when they know those answers. That can be competitive. Mm -hmm. that's strategic in their market. So they're stuck in this avalanche of new ideas and this tsunami of information, and they don't know how to act. And you guys are coming along, taking slices of this problem and looking at it in very new ways than they ever have and making progress very quickly. Not always scalable, but making progress. So existing organizations are trying to say, what do we do here? How do we manage our existing business? How do we take advantage of the new world? How do we move quickly? How do we pull together things that weren't, um, weren't connected before? So that was my definition of what a tailspin is. People who are just spinning from left and right from one idea to another without being able to connect this and without being able to have a thread through their strategy to how their company will survive and thrive.
1: Thank you very much, Alan. And you know what? You have taken us another perfect segue tailspin. We're going to spin right into the predictions round called the crystal ball. I'm going to circle back to Bjorn Guka at SAP. Bjorn, look into the crystal ball. I've got 60 seconds with your name on them for a prediction. If we met again, and I have a feeling we're going to be doing part two of this show pretty soon because this was a great conversation. We don't usually get into this depth when we talk about the culture side, the people side, the industry side of digital disruption. So I've really appreciated all of your insights, all three panelists. Bjorn, what will be different about this? You want to go to 2020 or later, what will we be talking about in terms of digital disruption? Bjorn, 60 seconds,
2: go. Yeah, if you if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Um, but, but seriously, <laughs> um, I think just what Ellen talked about, I think in five years from now, we will see that companies have actually made that connection. So technology is here, technology is Ready And it's actually, we see, starting and moving into corporations out of whatever, mobile experience and others. Uh, data is the new oil. Um, mm-hmm. Companies know that already. They find the technology to connect the dots. They learn how to interpret it. Um, software will help them judge what's in those vast amounts of structured data out of their uh, uh, enterprise systems, their unstructured data, coming out of social networks, uh, the IoT, Internet of Things world. Um, They will be able to do analytics uh, across time series. So they will be able to learn from the past data they had and predict the future. Um, And intelligent software, machine learning, artificial intelligence will find its way into corporations and help decision makers there um, provide insights on how to better serve customers and how to keep an edge over competition.
1: Thank you very well put and Professor Alan Brown I'm ready for you 60 seconds have your name on them go.
4: Well I, I'd like to have a, a sort of hope and an expectation and, and, and say why I think they'll be different. My my hope is that in three, four, five years we'll be talking much less about technology and much more about people. We'll be mm. talking about people and their needs, we'll be talking about people and their skills, we'll be talking about people and their ability to under, understand and absorb change and deal with a very uncertain world And we'll be trying to help people to deal with that from, I say, both from the consumer and from the producer point of view. My expectation is that we'll still be talking about technology and we'll still be trying to find out where the data is and why it doesn't work together and why there are massive, I think, uh, disparities between the state of the art and the state of the practice. The best of the best will be way off in the future, but most of us will still be dealing with all of the issues we deal with today and trying to get through our lives.
1: Thank you, Alan. And I saved 60 seconds, but that's it for Mark Giall, Mark, go ahead.
3: I always get to go last. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of what we talked about is, is about the, the plethora of, of information. And I think the, the challenge is you, often you don't know what it is you're looking for, right? I think Picasso once said, I did not search, I find. And I think mm-hmm. that leads us to this sort of this idea of of almost the, the contextual UI. It's that it's that ability to 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 give the user, the consumer, the information they need to hopefully to make that decision. They don't always know what it's they're looking for. Um, it's the understanding of the individual. It's the understanding of the, the question maybe that they should be asking that is that is answered. And. You know, if we don't solve that problem, then businesses and consumers are just going to drown in information and, you know, we're already spending too much time on Google, right? I would love to have a day where I didn't use email and I didn't use Google.
1: Oh, be still my heart. Mark, I'm going to have to cut you there. I want to thank you so much. I have to do a special shout-out to Thorsten Lydic and Mark Giel for sponsoring this new series, Joining the Game Changers family, Game Changing Biddle Business Model Disruption Radio. This was episode number two. And a special thank you to our guests, very smart, very savvy, and very fluent in the language of digital disruption. Bjorn Gerke, thank you so much. And a shout-out to Anita Regal for being in the background and in the foreground and helping us put this together with scheduling, Anita Urock, Professor Alan W. Brown at University of Surrey. Pleasure to meet you, sir. I bet your students adore you. And Mark Giall, I already said thank you and thanks for being on the panel. Shout out also to Aaron Keller and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Is it a seatbelt anymore, Alan, or is it just a wrapper around your waist with digital information talking to the car and the manufacturer and the toll booth? I don't know. Whatever it is, go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great one. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Business Model Disruption. The best run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham on Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.